Our scripture reading today is from Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and the title of this section is Instruction for Christian Households. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Cindy, for reading that scripture. My name's Mike Stroh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I drew the short straw on the preaching team. Colossians 3, 18, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. <clears throat> but I have another problem that I can't figure out. Maybe you can help me. Um, my, my pants are shrinking. <laughs> not, like, not like right now in real time, but, but slowly. Slowly, the, especially in the waist. Um, my pants have been fitting tighter. And so I've been coming to this conclusion. I, I don't understand what's happening, but my pants have to be shrinking. Okay. Yes, thank you. Very helpful. You know, it, because it's not just one pair. It's, it's all of them. I thought sometimes clothes shrink in the wash. Maybe that's it. But it's actually my belts, too. So I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm really confused. Um, and I thought maybe it's the weather kind of changing. El, El Nino. I think we can blame El Nino for some of this. But um, all I know is my pants and my belts are shrinking, so if y'all have any ideas. Um, but see, sometimes we look at things through the wrong lens, don't we? Uh, we're never going to see something clearly at all if we start off by looking at it through a wrong or a distorted lens. See, I'm looking at my pants problem through the lens of, hey, there's no way that I'm expanding, Right? And so it has to be my pants that are the problem. As we approach Scripture, we do so with all sorts of different lenses on, uh, often without even, even knowing our assumptions, our biases, our preconceived notions, the culture uh, that we're a part of, our life experiences. All those are, are powerful for forming lenses that bring us to things without our even knowing. We see, we interpret, we apply things through these lenses. 
And if we're not careful, we can, we can look at a passage of Scripture through the wrong lens. If we do that, we can totally misunderstand what God has for us, and we can totally misapply it. Now, that's bad enough when it's just something between me and God, my own walk with God, right? But what about a passage like this that speaks to whole structures in the home and in society? We, we need to tread carefully here. We need to tread humbly. We continue our series in the book of Colossians. We've been seeing all along uh, Paul's teaching on the sufficiency of Christ. Our salvation, Paul says in no uncertain terms, is Christ plus nothing. We've been called to live out our identity in Christ, putting off those things which belong to the world, those, those sinful practices that no longer characterize the people of God. We're called to put on our new identity, our calling in Christ, and those virtues that reflect Jesus. We're called to be a unified, a worshiping, a thankful people. So far, so good? Well, now, now Paul goes here. We come to this passage. Many today view these words that we just heard read through a very particular lens. We might assume that Paul here is just laying down some more teaching, just as he's been doing all along, just, and now laying down some very rigid and restrictive commands that many view as outdated at best and at worst destructive and should be thrown out. But if we look at this passage through a different lens, the one that Paul intended, the, the lens that these first century believers at this church at Colossae would have heard these words We'll see Paul, we'll see that this passage is actually very different. Paul is giving us a radically freeing blueprint to live at home under the Lordship of Christ. We'll see that Paul is calling each of us, no matter our vocation, our, our role, our season of life, whatever, whatever measure of power or lack thereof that we might have, he's calling all of us to lay that down in humble submission to the Lord. And so let's pray together as we turn to this passage. Our Father, quiet our hearts and our minds as we approach a text that many of us come, we approach with, with baggage, with preconceived notions, maybe with, with some angst, some heartburn, or just some, some well-meaning misunderstanding. Father, would you give us all humility? Uh, to, to see this text in the light in which it was intended, to apply this text in the way that your Spirit would lead us. And so we ask for your leading in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians 3, if you have a Bible, if not, you can see that uh, the text on our, on our online bulletin on our website. We'll be starting in verse 18. But again, let's get ourselves up to speed. If you've been tracking with our series, these verses feel like an, an abrupt shift, don't they? Uh, before this, we saw this lofty, inspiring passage on how we're the people of God. We're living out our identity in a worshiping community, a unified community, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And now Paul pivots, it seems, really abruptly to these this list of commands to husbands, wives, children. But this feels more abrupt to us than it would have to the Colossian church. Because if we're to put on this new identity in Christ, if we're to put on these virtues that belong 
to who we are in Christ that surely extends to the home. It extends to these relationships that are the closest relationships that we have, where we let our hair down, where we let our guard down, where we really are who we truly are. Sometimes we can act one way on a Sunday morning in here, uh, maybe a very different way on Monday morning at work. Or even Sunday, as soon as we walk out the door, we get hangry, right? It's time to go. Paul is clear that Christ is all. Christ is in all, which includes how we live at home. This also would not have been too surprising to the Colossians because Paul lays down here what's known as a household code. Uh, These were very common in the ancient world, not so much today. Uh, When I say household code, probably many of us think of, uh, is my house up to code, right? My roof, my uh, plumbing, whatever it is, is it up to code? You might also think of those informal uh, Hobby Lobby household codes that look like this. In this house, we do real, right? We do I'm sorry, we do hugs. Paul lived a little bit before Hobby Lobby, so that is not what he has in mind. But his readers, this church at Colossae, would have immediately recognized this. Oh, okay, this is a household code. Because these were foundational parts of the Greco-Roman society. Plato argued that everybody has an assigned role in society and that everybody must stay within that role. Never leave. His student Aristotle taught that the, the, the state is made up of these building blocks of households. And so every household must function this way. And so the state can function. Laws were passed to ensure that Rules based on these established roles, these power structures, were set in stone to preserve the state. A very clear sets of roles were addressed in these codes, and there are many of them, and they're often in these pairs of roles. There's master and slave, there's husband and wife, and there's father or parents and children. Very, very clear lines of authority, clear lines of subordination and submission. Master rules the slave. Husband rules the wife. Parents, especially father, rules the whole house, the children, under the father's authority. This is the culture. This is a household code. The Roman writer Dionysius wrote that women were to, quote, conform themselves entirely to the temper of their husbands and the husbands to rule their wives as necessary and inseparable possessions. Possessions. See, women were second-class citizens in this culture, to say the least, along with slaves, right? They have, a, they have a place, they have a role to play. There's value to society as long as you stay in your box, as long as you stay where you belong as a submissive servant, okay? This is the culture of Paul's day. This is a household code. Now, Scripture wasn't written in a vacuum, but in a very particular time and place and culture. And so it's very, very crucial for us as we approach a household code in Scripture to understand, first of all, that that's what we're looking at. Secondly, to understand what the household codes of the day were saying, what this first century church would have been so familiar with to rightly interpret them. And so we heard it read. Let me just read through this text. For many of us, this is a a familiar passage, but Colossians 3 Uh, starting in verse 18. Let's just get our heads around the big picture here. 
Colossians 3, starting in uh, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart, as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Okay, so in our day and culture, we just read through Paul's list of of commands here, this household code. What are the commands that get our attention today in our culture? Anybody? Yeah, wives submit, children obey, slaves obey. Those three, especially wives and slaves, I mean, they stand out to us, right? And rightfully so, because this passage has been used and misused and abused to condone some really bad things, some harmful practices of excesses of patriarchy. This passage has been used to condone slavery, which is horrible violence to this text. So that's what sticks out to us. What would have jumped out to the church at Colossae? In a culture where slavery was a pillar of society, where women were second-class property to be ruled by their husbands, what would stick out to them? As this letter probably was first being read to these believers in Colossae, well, what would stick out to them is the exact opposite of what sticks out to us. Yes, that's right. Uh, they would have heard these commands to husbands, fathers, masters, and they would have sat up in their seat. Did you hear that? Paul has commands for them too. Because Paul is not just regurgitating Plato and Aristotle, he's doing something very, very different here. Uh, Paul addresses each group in the second person. He addresses them directly which already is radical. He's talking to each of them in turn. Now, the Greco-Roman codes talked about women. They talked about slaves. They talked about children, but never to them. Paul here speaks right to each group, putting them on a level playing field of dignity and value and worth. They're all human beings worthy of hearing what Paul has to say, the apostle. Just addressing them personally was revolutionary, was unheard of in household codes of the day. But that's not all that got our attention. The household codes of the culture said nothing to husbands, fathers, about the way they should treat those they led. Scripture tells them to be kind and gentle and loving. So Paul's not creating a list here. This is so crucial for us to understand. Paul is not creating a new list of do's and don'ts for the church, for Christians at home, to put everybody in their proper place of authority and submission. He's taking an established code and turning it upside down. It's hard to overstate the importance of what I just said. 
what I've just said is taking off one lens and putting on a totally different lens. And when we look at this passage through this lens, we can see it in a whole different light. We can get a little closer to how those first century believers in Colossae would have first heard these words. What is Paul doing? Paul's speaking directly to those without power, without authority in the culture, and he's lifting them up. He's giving them value. He's giving them dignity because of who they are in Christ. He speaks to those who have the authority, who have the power, and what does he do? He lays a pretty significant weight of responsibility on them because of who they are in Christ. So with this new lens, let's just remind ourselves of what Paul has said earlier in the same chapter, verse 11. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. Do you see that? Same chapter. But Christ is all and in all. This has to inform how we understand the household code. What does Paul say in Galatians 3? He says there is no Jew or Greek. Slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's this ultimate truth here. We're all one in Christ. Paul is so clear. There are no, there are no distinctions of, of hierarchy in the way that we would wield power over other people like the world does. All have equal value and worth created in the image of God, redeemed by Christ. As we saw last week, we're called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus that includes how we live out our particular roles, our particular callings in home and society. And so now with this, what is for some of us a new lens, let's look at this household code again. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now this word submit gives a lot of us heartburn. It can mean a forced subjection, which is what we often think of, isn't it? It can mean a forced subjection, but most often the New Testament uses this word, as Paul does here, as a voluntary putting yourself under the direction of another. Very different. So it's totally misusing, it's totally abusing this passage of Scripture to use it to point the finger at someone else and say, Wives, submit. Wives, submit. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's other household code in Ephesians 5 begins with submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. A willful, mutual submission is to characterize these core relationships with each other. And that starts at home. Now that doesn't mean there are no distinctions. Paul elaborates on those a bit elsewhere. It doesn't mean there are no distinctions in the ways that we live together. We live out our callings. But what Paul is clearly saying here is there is no worldly hierarchy of power, wielding power, over another. What does Jesus say about biblical leadership? Leadership in Scripture is itself an act of submission. What does Jesus say? If you want to be the greatest, be a servant. Because a wife's submission, Paul is saying here, is ultimately to the the Lord, to Jesus. Paul says, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, notice here, Paul doesn't give us specifics of what that should look like in in your home and in my home. And I'm not going to do that this morning. That disappoints some people, maybe. But in fact, watch out for teaching that takes these household codes in Scripture 
and uses them as a springboard to, to reinforce legalistic commands about what biblical womanhood should look like or what biblical manhood should look like for that matter. Every marriage in this room is going to live this out a bit differently. That's okay. We all have to work this out together with with humility, with the help of the Holy Spirit. But wives, in verse 18, you can ask yourself honestly and openly before God, how does my calling as a wife reflect my submission to Christ? That's what it's all about, submission to Christ. In what ways can I better reflect this submission to Christ in the way that I treat my husband? But guys, lest we think we're off the hook, look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Now remember, Paul's words have already been revolutionary. He's already elevated the wife. He's spoken directly to her. He's linked what she does to worship to Christ, submission to Christ. He's lifted her up above her status in the culture. And now he lays down a requirement on husbands that is found nowhere in the Greco-Roman household codes, and that is love. Now, the codes said a lot to men. They said a lot to husbands about how they ruled, about how they wielded authority, how they were to maintain order, how they were to keep the machine of society running based on how they kept everyone in line at home. The codes said a lot about that, but they didn't talk about love. This is agape love. This is sacrificial, self-giving love. This is the kind of love that God showed us in John 3.16. God so agaped the world that he gave. Paul takes this command to husbands a step further in his code in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Guys, We can't even scratch the surface of this type of love for our wives without the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Think about how Jesus demonstrated his love for his bride. That's our model that we're expected to follow. It's a pretty high bar. So husbands, ask yourselves, how does my role as a husband reflect the sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus? In what ways do I tend to put my wants, my desires, my needs above my wife? This passage challenges us. Verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Kids, students, um, your parents are not perfect. You didn't know that. They're not perfect. Uh, They make mistakes, and Paul knows that, and so he's encouraging children here to obey, uh, not just to please the parents, but ultimately to please the Lord. Again, he speaks to children directly. You have value. You have dignity. The world says you might not have power or authority or value until you reach a certain age, until you accomplish something. It's not what Paul does. Paul says you have value right now. Right now in your home, what you're doing pleases the Lord. doesn't get much more important than that. You're bringing pleasure to Jesus Christ. That's your motivation, ultimately. Verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. I want you to notice the only word here to fathers and parents says nothing about wielding authority. The authority is implied in the children obey 
But Paul's specific word to parents here, don't exasperate your children. The word for fathers can be used of both fathers and mothers. So really this applies more broadly, though in the culture, of course, here, uh, fathers were the head of the home, period. And so ultimately the father's going to be carrying this out uh, in this day, but it applies to parents. So all, all who are parents here should take these words to heart. Don't exasperate your kids. Your translation might say provoke, embitter. The idea is to stir up a negative response or to stir up rebellion by the way that you're parenting them. The, the message paraphrase puts it like this. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Yes, parents, your kids should obey you, but Paul's saying be careful that you don't discipline them harshly or make them feel like they can never measure up. Be very careful not to crush their spirits. Your job as a parent is to nurture them, to bring them up, to reflect the love of God for his children. Now, the final pair of commands here is to slaves and masters. Now, as I mentioned before, as many of us know, this passage has been so horribly misused in a lot of ways, including to condone slavery. Uh, Notice Paul never says that he's in favor of slavery. We say, well, why didn't he say so here? Why didn't he call for an end to slavery? That's not Paul's purpose here in Colossians to stir up a revolt. He's speaking to the church that was made up of masters and slaves, husbands and wives, children and parents, telling them how to live out their calling in Christ where they found themselves. But don't think he's supporting the status quo. Everything about this is revolutionary. Remember, he addresses slaves directly, treating them not as property but as responsible human beings who are called to make their own willing choice in this. Not only that, but you'll notice just as you scan down the passage, his words to slaves are by far the longest. He's giving them the most attention here. His care for the slave, his encouragement for the slave is so clear here. Paul's saying, I know what you're experiencing. I know the injustice, but don't worry. I have some words for you. Verse 22, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Pause right there. Human masters. I love how Paul just throws in human or, or earthly masters as if to say, hey, don't, don't forget that your, your master is just your human master. It's not your ultimate master. It's not who they're really serving. He says, he goes on, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Over and over in this lengthy word directly to slaves, he reminds them who their real master is. Isn't that awesome? He says, I know what you're going through, but your inheritance is coming. You serve the Lord Christ. The context of the home here in this passage, Paul's speaking to domestic slaves that would have been in the household, but we can certainly all take these words to heart, can't we? We can, of course, apply this to anything we do and in in work. Whatever we do is ultimately for the Lord and not for people. Your boss treats you poorly. Paul's saying your real boss is Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. 
And as it turns out, the bigger point that Paul's making is that everyone's boss is Jesus. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. By the way, one of the worst chapter divisions ever, uh, which were not in the original text. So somebody fell asleep on the job when they were dividing up the chapters here. But chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Masters, I got a word for you too, Paul says. This word for fairly can carry the idea of equality. Talk about radical. Imagine how this must have sounded. And don't forget, Paul saying, you have a master in heaven. That should characterize everything you do to those that are under you. And that's a big part of Paul's point for everyone here. Don't forget that you have a master in heaven. So let your life as a child, as a, as a wife, as a mother, as a parent, as a slave, in this case, as a master, as a student, as a worker, reflect that. If you just scan down the text again with your eyes, you'll notice how many times the word Lord is repeated throughout this passage. Seven times, including the word master in verse 1, same word. The lordship of Christ is woven throughout this whole blueprint of the Christian home. It's in every room. Wherever you find yourself, whatever calling, whatever vocation, whatever season of life, put yourself willingly under the lordship of Christ. Let him rule your heart. Let him guide how you treat your spouse. Let him guide how you treat your parents, how you respect them. Let him guide how you treat your children, how you nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. In our day, your boss, your employee, let Christ dictate how you act at work, how you show respect for that manager who doesn't treat you with respect. Jesus is with you where you are. He knows those core relationships and the challenges of those relationships, and ultimately, he's telling us, you're serving me. You're serving me. Now, Paul may disappoint us here by not giving us specific applications. Well, well, what does it look like in in my home for for me as a wife to submit? What does that even mean? What does it look like for for a husband to live out this kind of love? Paul doesn't do that here. Our takeaway for this morning from this passage is a call for all of us to humble ourselves, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, to consider others more important than ourselves. To adopt the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, this attitude of humility. Just as Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father, that is our calling, that is our privilege, whoever we are. And that alone, that truth alone, transforms how we approach our roles. How we wake up in the morning and say, okay, how am I going to live today as a child? as a parent, as a friend. We apply this passage never with a pointed finger at others, only at ourselves. How can my role as a, you fill in the blank, reflect my humble service to Christ? That's a question that we all need to ask ourselves prayerfully, repeatedly, and honestly before God with humility, ready to hear how the Holy Spirit will teach us, will lead us. Well, author Rachel Held Evans said it so well about these household codes. The household codes, she wrote, should remind us that where we may be advantaged with power or privilege, we're called to humble ourselves, to sacrifice, to love, to listen, 
to surrender our power and to treat our fellow human beings as our equals, co-heirs and brothers and sisters in the family of God. Where we may be disadvantaged and without power, we're reminded that we don't answer to the man anyway. We answer to Christ, who has been both powerful and powerless. Sometimes we look at things through the wrong lens, like me and the problem that I'm having with my pants, right? I see now, I think I can be finally honest that it's on me. It's not my pants. I'm actually, this morning, I'm committing myself before you all not to have a donut after the worship service. (laughs) Would you hold me accountable? I think that'll help get me on the right track. And I'm sure I'm the only one with this issue, so please, all of you, partake. Partake. But me, I'm going to abstain. But do you see how differently this passage looks when we view it through a different lens? The ramifications in our home, the ramifications in society. Is Paul laying down a list of do's and don'ts to keep everybody in their place, to keep those power structures in place, to reinforce cultural systems of power and authority? Well, that's one way to look at it. That totally misses the point. We've just read a radically freeing in context, a radically freeing invitation to willingly humble ourselves before our master, the Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we submit ourselves willingly to you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who emptied himself, who took on the form of a servant for us. Thank you that he submitted himself to your will to the point of death for us. We acknowledge, Father, that Jesus, your Son, is exalted over all, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the rightful master of all creation, but we as your people want to willingly, we want to joyfully put ourselves at his feet. In our relationships where we're so free to let our guard down, to be who who we truly are, Would you help us especially there to reflect who we are in Christ? Would you give us true humility for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray? Amen. Let's stand together.